0: Uh, Thanks for having me again. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open there at uh, Ruth chapter 3 as we uh, finish off the story of Ruth today. And uh, remember, there's time for questions at the end. Thanks for that. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, as we come again to this uh, strange Old Testament book of Ruth that seems in many ways so far away from us, we thank you that it is your word to us and we pray you would give us your spirit and your wisdom that we might see what it means for us, that we might live lives that are wise and lives that honour you. We pray and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Sydney Morning Herald, uh, several months ago, uh, Adam Sutton in Georgia, USA, convinced his childhood sweetheart, Erica, to take a chartered plane flight with him out of a regional airport just outside town. Adam's plan was to have family members on the ground hold up a huge banner asking Erica to marry him. Uh, Erica said in the newspaper article, we flew low over the airport and suddenly I saw the words marry me and my mother waving at me. And then I I realised what was happening. But her, her joy was short-lived. Moments later, the plane suddenly nosedived, crashed onto the tarmac, bursting into flames. There it is. Sutton said, I was looking at her and was about to get the ring out and ask, and it happened. Now, the family had been told that the crash was probably caused by the plane's low altitude and speed. As the pilot attempted to fly as low and slowly as possible past the wedding proposal sign, and so the plane crash landed and burst into flames. Sutton got his girlfriend Erica out of the plane, and then went back for the pilot, who was unconscious. Sutton and Erica, were, Adam and Erica, were treated at a local medical centre for small injuries. However, the pilot Bradley Gilbert had to go undergo surgery. And a newspaper report said the couple had something they now needed to go out and do. They had to go and buy a ring. The original ring is somewhere there in the plane crash. But uh, the family won't be able to actually get in and have a look until the investigators have finished examining the wreck. You know, what is it with crazy wedding proposals, I ask you? I mean, is she more likely, guys, to say yes to you because you ask her on a plane or... You propose on national television or you know, you're at the top of the bridge climb and she's terrified and feels like throwing up? <laughs> I mean, call me unromantic, but I reckon that you know, creates actually a whole lot of doubt. Does, does she really love him or did she say yes just because he'd gone to all this trouble? I mean, the plane's crashed, uh, the pilot's in hospital. It'd be kind of a bit bad now, wouldn't it, to say No. <laughs> does she really love him? I mean, I proposed to my wife, uh, not on top of the bridge or in a plane, but sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee each, gazing together at an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> both, of us, both of us were students, both of us were, students who were wondering, work, trying to work out, could we really afford to get married? we crunching the numbers. How's that was What's wrong with that? <laughs> Sensible? Safe? Actually, uh, even now, you know, when uh, I get a bit misty-eyed whenever an Excel spreadsheet opens up <laughs> on a laptop. Well, the book of Ruth opens, or ends, sorry, with a, a really weird marriage proposal. Or two, or three, depending on how you count it. In fact, there's a story that keeps surprising us At every turn to the very end. And leaves us with some big questions about how you can know when someone really loves you. Even though they say they do, how can you really tell? If you've got chapter 3 open, uh, we pick up the story uh, that we've been following for three weeks in chapter 3. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, has an interesting wedding plan proposal. But Let me ask you, does this sound like, like a good idea? Ruth gets dressed up, real pretty, make-up and heels, waits till Boaz has worked into the evening in threshing grain, knocks off, has a big meal and a few beers, goes to sleep and then Ruth sneaks up and lies beside him on the barn floor. I mean, what exactly is the plan here? Uh, you might be thinking, well, this is a great plan if you want to get itchy from the straw lying on the barn floor. You know, at the feet of a bloke who's been working all day who smells of sweat and beer. It sounds as ill-conceived as the plane crash. Uh, maybe this was, you know, simply the way you proposed in the culture of the day, just like a man, you know, might, in our culture, get down on one knee and produce a ring from his pocket or open up an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> But maybe if you notice in the way verse 14, the way Boaz asks her to leave quietly, is there something a bit shadier than that about Naomi's plan? Boaz wakes up after a few beers, sees this girl who's been working on the farm lying beside him. Is this the ultimate morning after the office Christmas party I've really blown it feeling? He thinks, must have slept with her. He doesn't remember, but here they are in bed together. He must have had a few more beers than he thought. And now he has a real headache. He must do the honourable thing and marry her. That might be why he says, if you look, all my I'll do this so that all my fellow townsmen know that you're a wanted, noble character. He's going to act to save her reputation now. Well, you know, maybe even nastier still. Naomi's plan is simply to put Boaz... In the compromising situation, he knows he didn't sleep with her, but now he's caught. It just looks real bad, and he doesn't know who has seen and who will believe him. All his talk, you know, about hey Ruth, you'll be safe with me in my field. No one will take advantage of you here. And now look where he is. For her sake and, and for his, marriage is perhaps now his only option. Will he always resent it? Will every time he look at Ruth? You will remember the way he was tricked into this in the sneakiest of ways. But just in case you worry that the story isn't quite as romantic as you might like, however we read that stuff, how does Boaz feel about it? If you look in the, in the story in verse 10, he ain't unhappy about marrying Ruth. Whatever the machinations of the plan that has got us to this point, in verse 10, his reaction, he says, "'The Lord bless you, my daughter,' This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier, what he did with, what she did with Naomi. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, you see what he's saying, don't you? Boaz isn't much of a catch anymore. You know, he's older, you know, he's a bit flabby around the middle, past his prime. He's the, the apple at the back of the fridge that's a bit furry now. He might own a field, but there are lots of younger, more eligible bachelors out there. She going to run this scam on them instead of him. This has not been on his agenda because well, of who he is. What would Ruth see in me? If Boaz is being swindled into something here, he's being tricked into doing something, he'd jump at the chance of anyway. But there's a catch If you look in chapter 3, verse 2, there's this important phrase. Naomi Naomi describes Boaz as a close relative, as a kinsman. And then that phrase gets repeated when Ruth speaks in the dark and calls Boaz a kinsman redeemer. It's an important phrase. You see, in Israel, in the Old Testament, people were protected under God's law in a really weird way. If a man died and left his wife unsupported, his family had to take on that responsibility for him. The dead man's brother would take the woman under his roof and even if he was already married, if she was young enough and without kids, marry her that she might have children of her own to carry on her dead husband's name and inherit his property. And that brother was called the kinsman redeemer, that relative. He would redeem her, rescue her, uh, from her poverty. Now, um, girls, if, uh, if maybe, maybe some of you actually have a brother-in-law and the very idea of this. But, you see, in a society with no social security, where, where children were your only superannuation, Israel different from the nations around them. God's Old Testament law expressly provided and said that women mattered as people to be looked after. That's why um, if you look in chapter 3 verse 9 when Boaz says, who are you? Lying in the dark in the barn with me. She replies, I'm your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Boaz is being asked to take on the family responsibility. But here's the catch. I mean, What's a good love story without the other guy? Boy meets girl, love's in the air, and then he turns up, threatens to ruin everything, to come between them. Uh, All the great Hollywood love story movies, the classics, have this kind of dilemma. Uh, My favourite, Star Wars. (laughs) Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, who will get Leia? Or the other classic Hollywood romance movie, Shrek. Shrek. Right? Same formula, Farquhar, the ogre. Who's going to get Princess Fiona? Here in Ruth, there is a contender who threatens to destroy everything for them. Even though Boaz is a kinsman redeemer in line to take responsibility for Ruth, there is someone first in line other than him. Chapter 3, verse 12. There is someone, there is someone you know, her scheming mother-in-law has, has overlooked. There is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. So, chapter 3 ends completely up in the air. Ruth goes home empty I mean, She spent the night in the barn with the wrong bloke. And what of this kinsman redeemer? Maybe he's one of those younger, more handsome bachelors and Barrow's is just going to be left in the back of the fridge all alone. Or will this end badly for Ruth? Do you remember the <coughs> warning last week in Ruth chapter 2? Boaz has welcomed her with kindness, but there is no guarantee she will find the same kind of kindness as a Moabite woman everywhere in Israel. Will this man mistreat her? Well, will we stop there? Finish there? Do you want to see how the story ends? Let's look at the last bit. Let's look at at the first bit of chapter 4 and see what happens next. I'll read the first six verses. Well, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to her brother, Elimelech, to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you, if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you and I and next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Marbitess, You acquired the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot. Well, if uh, chapter 3 began with Naomi's devious plan, as chapter 4 begins, Boaz completely outdoes her. It and it's worth paying attention to his craftiness, his cunningness here in the dialogue in these first six verses. You look, Boaz goes to the city gate and he sets things up to make sure there are plenty of witnesses. And he says, hey mate, good to see you. you know, come over here, my friend. Come and sit down. And in front of everyone, Boaz puts him straight on the spot. He says, I thought I'd bring it to your attention. But let me give you the inside information. There's a field to be bought, a great piece of real estate. And if you sign up for it, you get in before everyone else. You're entitled to it. Hey, and if you don't want it, just let me know. If you don't want it, that I will get my checkbook out. I'll grab it straight away. You have the first option to buy at the field of Naomi's dead husband. But Boaz, he could sell you shares in Uluru, couldn't he? Very well done. He begins with the attractive part of the package. But Boaz seems to be selling it up. And this guy, look in verse 4, He wants to snap up the deal. He wants to shake on the spot. But what has Boaz neglected to mention yet? Look in verse 5. He plays his trump card. He's made the picture look sweet, so he can now turn it sour. In verse 5, he says, Oh, yeah, and by the way, when you buy the land, you get Naomi, the old widow. That may not be so appealing. But of course, at least this guy he won't have to marry her because of her age. He'll just have to look after an elderly woman in his extended family, and you know, before he knows it, she'll drop off the perch, and he will get her property. You get Naomi, and also Ruth, the Moabiteess. That's how Boaz throws it in that way. You must marry a Moabite, provide her children. And the land you buy will pass on to her half-Moabite kids, not yours. Well, the field sounds appealing. Uh, You have to look after an old widow. But it seems when we get to Ruth, do you see how fast this guy backpedals? A lot of the way he he says it, he says, Oh, hang on, I, I just remembered, I'm married already. Silly me, I forgot. Completely slipped my mind, so now I have my own family to worry about and provide for. And the hand that was out there to shake on the deal comes back into his pocket like lightning. Maybe it's the expense, providing you know, Ruth with kids and then looking after them on top of his own family. And you know what will his wife say you know, when he comes home at the end of the day and says, Honey, you'll never guess what I picked up at the market today. <laughs> and here's the, the young Moabite girl. Or is it the way Boaz says, Ruth the and Remember the big theme in the book? Not everyone in Israel will be like Boaz. Not everyone will, be, will, 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 will a foreigner, not everywhere will a foreigner be well received. Not everyone will be like God and welcome those who come looking for God and seeking refuge under his wings. Well, as Ruth is rejected, outright. Boaz steps up to redeem her. In a funny way, you know, Boaz thought he wasn't much of a catch, but it seems the girl from Moab, in some people's eyes, is not a great deal either. But in each other's eyes? Uh, all this scene needs to be you know, the perfect romantic ending. Just, you know, the, the laptop and the Excel spreadsheet and we would be there. But you know, What is a a soppy love story like this doing in our Bibles? Why would God have put this here for for you and me? What would he be saying to us? Well, as chapter 4 goes on, it shows us. It speaks straight away of the way God has a plan to love his people. We hear about the family line that Ruth and Boaz were part of. Not any old family, but the family line from whom God promised the great rescuer would one day come, the Lord Jesus. You see, Boaz and Ruth is a little picture. Their love story in a small way is the shape of God's love for his people. In a number of ways, let me just focus on on two of them with you. The thing about the way that Boaz redeems and the way he wisely, the way with surprising cunning he sets out to make Ruth his. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the reason that they had this law about the widow being redeemed, provided for and looked after, it was what God did for Israel. When they were slaves in Egypt, fatherless and defenceless. God chose to redeem them, to set his love upon them and make them his own. Can I say, if you're disturbed if, or outraged at, at this at this inconvenient law about getting married to your brother-in-law is there to remind Israel of God, God's great inconvenience, of the outrageous, amazing thing he had done in choosing a sinful people and bringing them into his family and binding himself to them. You know, as you read the story, maybe you're thinking, Is this such a big ass of Boaz, a young, attractive girl with the best perfume on, throws himself at her feet and he's not much much to look at anymore? But you know, if you turn with me to Ezekiel 16, to Ezekiel 16 in your Bibles, or you might just want to listen, Ruth may have got herself dressed up. She may have made herself look appealing. But Israel in the Old Testament, when God redeemed them, they were like an abandoned urchin that no one wanted. Have a look at the description in, in Ezekiel 16. 16 from verse 3, we're told your ancestry in birth were in the land of the Canaanites, foreigners. No one looked after you or took pity or had compassion. And he goes on, you were thrown out in the open field for on the day you were born you were despised. Look in verse 8, what did God do? I spread the corner of my garment over you. Remember that phrase? What Ruth said. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. And it goes on, and you became mine. I clothed you in embroidered dress, sandals on your feet, dressed you in fine linen, costly garments. I adorned you with jewellery, bracelets on your arm, and a necklace round your neck, crown upon your head, adorned with gold and silver. Those who had nothing and could demand nothing of God showered with his blessings." And made to be his. But you know, even more than God's Old Testament people, what has God done for us? 1 Peter chapter 1, we're told, for for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. It it costs to redeem, doesn't it? And Ruth's next of kin, he walked away. The cost was too much. But you know, this story reminds us: Jesus is a redeemer. who did not cost. who did not balk at the cost of redeeming you, who made you his, even though the price was to suffer the eternity of judgment that you deserve. When we were nothing, but unlovely and ungrateful sinners. Was Boaz in the end entrapped into this? Uh, did he feel he just? had to do his duty. Does he really love Ruth? You bet he does. Look at the lengths he goes to. Applies his cunning and his wisdom to get Ruth out of this pickle. He had the perfect excuse to walk away. He's not the, not the kinsman who's closest. Did he really love Ruth? Look at the lengths he went to. You know, do you ever wonder, does God feel he just has to love you? Does he wish sometimes that he didn't have to? Does he really care? you bet he does. Look at the lengths that he went to. Look at what he did at the cross. Look at the way he applied all his wisdom and his cunning, the Bible says. He found a way to do justice to sin and yet forgive us for it that it would cost him everything to pay for it himself. I had a girl interviewed recently about speed dating. Giving, she was giving some advice about speed dating. Now, I'm not recommending speed dating or I'm not thinking that I'm qualified to give any personal advice on it at all, but it was interesting to hear her speak. Uh, she, her advice, she said, she said, when I go speed dating, I never wear makeup. If a guy meets me and he likes me when I look all made up, how do I know he'll still like me? when he gets to know me and sees me as I really am. God set his heart on you, not when we were made up and perfumed and looking our best, but knowing the worst there is to know. All the things that you keep secret from everyone else, all your motives, all those thoughts that you would be ashamed for others to see, seeing all your unattractiveness, he gave all he had that you would be yours. Nothing you say or do now is going to stop him from being committed to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your redeeming love and for the amazing thing you did in the death of Jesus. We thank you the story of Ruth reminds us that we who have no right to expect your love can find with you kindness and refuge. But although we wanted nothing to do with you, you chose to love us in the most amazing way. We thank you for the lengths you went to and all that you gave at the cross. We thank you for your welcome home to all who will come to find our belonging, our identity, in being your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Time for questions. We've got time for questions, Luke? Good. Time for questions from Ruth. I'm not coming back next week. You won't be here. So you've got questions on Ruth. He has a chance to ask. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Why, why does he? Why, what's his strategy? What's he doing there? I, I take it. Well, we don't actually know the name of the kinsman who's nearer than him, but uh, he's cousin or his relative, whoever he is. Um, I take it what he does is um, uh, he shows the deal in its best light. Uh, he says all the, th- the things are good about it and when the guy feels warm about it, he says, but hang on, and suddenly the man who's close to signing up wants to take the step backwards. But I take it it's, he, he, he's wise, uh, he, he thinks carefully about how people react to things and he uses his word to, to get the result that he, that he wants to. Is that, is that kind of what you're asking? Is that- No, well, yeah, okay, th- that's helpful. I think there's two things going on. I think the first thing is that he just wants to get the result of getting Ruth. And so he just wants to do, do it in a way that will actually propel this guy. But he exposes him as someone who will not value a Moabite girl. Does that make sense? So, yeah, so, so we, we, we're kind of all, as we read the story, think, well, we're glad that didn't happen, because how would this man have treated a Moabite girl in his household? Okay. Mm. Yeah, okay. Uh, we all hear the question? You all hear that? Yeah. Um, yeah, we know that they did. So, you know, the, the Old Testament rabbis thought a lot about Ruth and why it was in their Bibles and that was something that they, that they, they saw quite clearly. There was a, a small picture here, like you see in Song of Songs, uh, a small picture here of uh, the way God loves us in, in relationship here. So, yeah. I, I think there's the... Um, there's, um, I assume that um, Ruth Ruth proposes to Boaz in a funny way in the barn. Uh, Boaz, at the end of Chapter 3, seems to say uh, uh, in a kind of conditional kind of way, if I can, I'm going to take you. Uh, Then we have the marriage proposal, if you like, from the unnamed guy that he then backs out of. And then finally we have Boaz who comes up and claims her at the end. That, Yeah. Okay? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Why does, um, why does Naomi try and trick Boaz rather than the kinsman nearer? Um, I don't think we're told. It, it seems to me there's a whole lot of things we, we don't know about what the plan actually is or the, and that seem to us, I think seem in the story to be not so well thought out but uh, in the kindness of God things work out well. I, that's, yeah. I don't think Naomi's ever presented as a helpful character. that way, Yeah. Um, yeah, Victor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess a couple of things. First thing is to say, I think last week we, we looked at the idea that in uh, the way that, that Boaz welcomes Ruth and wants to be part of the purposes of God, and the way he is, the way he is generous and wise with his words, um, the book of Ruth fleshes out an example for us a lot of the principles that Proverbs announces. A lot of what it says, probably says most of all, it speaks about how we speak. we want to be wise and careful with our words and then we see that worked out for us. In fact, we see it worked out here again in this chapter, I think, uh, in, in chapter, uh, chapter 4 where Boaz again, where do you see his wisdom? It's not so much how he manages his money or other th- how he manages the farm but it's the words that he uses. He, he's thoughtful with his words to get the effect he wants. Is that now, a couple of things. I think in some ways Ruth and Boaz both function for us as positive examples in some ways. And we see that in Chapter 1, what we talked about in Chapter 1 with Ruth coming to God and the way she's welcomed by Boaz. I think we see them as examples of what God's people ought to be. Uh, but it's not a, uh, the Old Testament generally is not a simple book where the good guys wear the white hats and you just imitate everything they do and the bad guys wear the black hats and you don't. Think of King David. And there's places where clearly he acts in a way that we commend and places where he doesn't as well. So, but I think in, in all, even where Boaz is, perhaps here in a way being devious that we would actually not want to commend as a way for us to operate in our relationships, maybe, um, we actually still see the principles of Proverbs being worked out that words are powerful and how, if you think about how you use your words, you can make them count. So in Luke 16, you can look, it up, look it up later, but Jesus tells a parable about a man who does very cunning and wise things, but totally dishonest things to his employer, the shrewd manager. And he completely um, rips off his boss, and Jesus tells the story and says, see how this guy was cunning? You guys ought to be what, like that when you think about being useful for the gospel and useful for God's kingdom. Now, he's not saying we should be dishonest, that's not the point he's saying, but he's saying, See where a bit of thought can get you. So when it comes to the way you do the work of the gospel, don't be dishonest, don't be devious, but be wise and thoughtful in how you go about things. And if we had more time, that's probably where we could have gone to think about the whole thing about how Old Testament wisdom might work out for us and being useful for the kingdom.